0: what's happening on the hill. If you're new to Shelby Christian Church, we want to say welcome and we'd like to invite you to stop and visit our I'm new wall in the lobby so we can meet you and get you connected. We also have our next steps room at the end of the common grounds hallway where you can figure out how to get involved at Shelby Christian Church. Hey ladies, if you're here worshiping with us on Thursday night, we'd like to invite you to our women's ministry Bunko fundraiser this Saturday, June 10th at 4 o'clock. We're meeting in the stew, and we'd love to have you. If you're here on Sunday, sorry we missed you. We'll catch you next time. Parents of elementary, middle, and high school students, summer camp at Camp Calvary is filling up quickly. Our fourth and fifth graders are leaving this Sunday, and if you'd like to join another week of camp, just check out our shelbychristian.org website. return your baby bottles for our fundraiser for ALC back to the church lobby no later than Father's Day June 18th. Hey guys, it's time to start getting ready for Ready Fest again this summer. This year the event is on July 22nd and we're currently looking for volunteers to help set up and work the event and we're also looking for donations of gently used clothing items. If you can help with any of these aspects please contact Michael McLaughlin. We love celebrating changed lives here on the Hill, and we'd like for you to join us now in celebrating our 50th baptism of the year. Congratulations, Terry! That's what's happening on the Hill. Now get on your feet and let's worship together.
1: Yeah.
2: My name is Ray Brewer. I am the youth minister here at Shelby Christian. Um, If you have not joined us before, we have communion stations um, on this side, on that side, two up front and two in the back, and we are about to go into our communion meditation. But I found out this week that I was leading it, and it reminded me of a story. So if you don't know, I'm from Tampa, Florida, and um, my first real ministry that I was a part of was my dad's, and it was on the beach. So, when most people were getting ready in a suit and a tie, I was putting on my bathing suit and getting ready to go to church. And I loved it. Because at that time, I was also leading the children, but it wasn't really through God. It was more teaching them how to build sandcastles. And that was awesome because sometimes I got to go swimming. But I always had an excuse because we would get up at. Whenever the sun went up and we would come back up as soon as the sun was going down And I always had an excuse on why I didn't want to set up. It was either too early It was too late. I was too tired. It was too hot. It was too cold. There was always something Something that I did not want to help with but there was always one. We didn't do it very often but There was always one or two times every few months Where my dad would wake up a little bit earlier And we go to Panera Bread and he would get this big old loaf of bread If y'all haven't had Panera bread bread, it's pretty good bread and he would get Welch's grape juice And that was the best thing in the world because I knew it was communion day And I knew that we would not use all the bread and we would not use all the juice So that was my breakfast and it was awesome It was so great and I went to my dad and I was like dad. This is my favorite day I love communion day and he goes. Yeah, me too but let me tell you why and he sat me down and he explained why this bread and why this juice was so special all of a sudden. And I never looked at it the same. Because he explained to me this love and this grace of a father who sent his son down to die for me. And this is all I needed to do to remember him. And now it's easy when we do this every week to forget that sacrifice it is it's so easy just to pick up that cup with juice pick up that cup with a piece of bread in it and look at it as just that but in all reality it's a very small thing to do for such an amazing grace for such a powerful love so as we go forward today and as we go forward throughout the rest of our week remember what this cup means both the juice the blood and the bread the body let's pray dear heavenly father thank you for this opportunity to come up and just worship you lord this is this has been amazing father um as we go into this time of communion allow us to sit in your presence father remind us who you are, what this means. When we drink your blood, Father, remind us that yours has washed us clean. When we eat of your body, Father, remind us that that, that was the symbol for your grace, for your love. You are amazing. You are awe-inspiring, Father, and we love you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.
1: let all-
3: you would turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. After a worship service, a uh, mother with a very fidgety little young boy uh, talked to the pastor about how she got her son to settle down. She looked over to him at one point and whispered, if you don't behave, the pastor is going to lose his place and will have to start his sermon all over again. (laughs) it worked. (laughs) This morning we're continuing our series on leadership and influence in the life of Samuel. Today we're talking about confronting defiance because sometimes as leaders we need to confront things that we know are wrong. Not about you but it seems like whenever we watch the news we see leadership failures don't we? It doesn't matter which party you belong to, we can see it all over the place, can't we? And it's amazing to me how someone can go into Congress with very little money in their bank accounts and come out billionaires. Always make you wonder a little bit about that, doesn't it? But the Bible tells us the reason this happens is because of human sinfulness. The more power people seem to have, the easier it is for them to become corrupt. Now today as we look at 1 Samuel 15, we will see in spite of the great military success that King Saul had, he was rejected by God and lost his kingdom and his his son would not sit on his throne. So in chapter 13, we saw Saul lose his dynasty as a revolt of his disobedience. We see in chapter 14 that Saul lost the confidence of his army as he starved them as they pursued the Philistines. So today in chapter 15, we're gonna dive into this crucial chapter and see what it says. Let's start with verse one this morning. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. There's a lot in this opening verse. Saul was no ordinary king. There were three elements of his kingship that made it unique. First was the Lord was the one who made Saul king. The only reason Saul was king of Israel is that God chose him and made him king. If he God hadn't have chosen Saul and made him king, he would have still been plowing fields. Secondly, Saul had to submit to Samuel the prophet. Saul was to never, ever forget that he was not the ultimate authority. His kingship was different than any other kingship in the world at that time. He was a king under the authority of God and under the prophet of God who spoke God's words to God's people. And third, people who Saul reigned over were not his people. They were God's people. Saul was to never forget that the people were not there for him, he was there for them. Since God had made him king, since he was under the authority of God and under God's prophet, and since he was to take care of God's people, then he must learn to listen and to obey God's words. Whatever he did as a king, hearing and obeying God's words to him was the one thing that he must do. Let's go on to verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did in Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all they have. Do not spare them kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now who in the world's Amalek? He was the grandson of Esau and we read about him in Genesis 36. His descendants were known as the Amalekites and they had a long, long history of violence and hostility against the Israelites. They were the first people to attack Israel when they left Egypt and were in the desert. And the Bible portrays them literally as terrorists who preyed on the weak and had no regard whatsoever for God. They tried to wipe out the Israelites and God promised to bring judgment on them and to wipe them off the face of the earth. You may remember Israel's battle with the Amalekites because that was the time when Moses took his staff above his head and whenever it was above his head, they were winning. Whenever he dropped it down, they started to lose. So Aaron and Hur had to stand on each side of them and hold his arm up in order that Israel would continue to win the fight. Now God had told King Saul and Israel the rest of the land that it's time to attack and to destroy the Amalekites. Many people find this whole idea of genocide caused by God to be a little disturbing to our modern sensibilities. To let you know, the Amalekites attacked Israel in Exodus and they did not change direction and they did not become nice people. This was God carrying out his judgment against a nation's sin after waiting patiently for hundreds of years for them to repent. God's people were completely wiped out. All the sinful nations, God said, in the promised land. And some of those very nations burned their children to death in order to please their gods, their gods of fertility and their gods of the harvest and their gods of the sun and the moon. It's unfortunately that we do the same thing when we kill our children for the God of convenience. The one true God of the universe did not want his people to be deceived and to follow all these corrupt pagan practices. The complete destruction of these nations by God's people was a little like cutting a cancerous tumor out of the body. We know what happens if you don't attack cancer. What does cancer do? It continues to attack the body until there is no more body. Now let's see what Saul does. Chapter, verse four. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telam, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. The main point of these verses is that Saul got a lot of people together for this war. An army that should have taken care of anything, 200,000 men. Can you imagine 200,000 men on a field of battle? And then verse six says, Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. Now, while the Amalekites tried to destroy and kill the Israelites in Exodus 17, in Exodus 18, the Canaanites came to help the Israelites after that battle. And the Canaanites' help was not forgotten. Let's go on to verse 7. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from hala all the way to Shur, the east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. And Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, and everything. In fact, that appealed to them. And they destroyed only what was worthless and of poor quality. So with the Kenites out of the way, Saul goes to battle with the Amalekites. But he didn't follow what God said, did he? It was common in that day to capture an opposing king and cut his toes off. Kind of hard to walk without your toes, isn't it? Especially the big toe, take that off, it's very, very difficult to walk. And that's why they did it, so that the king would be wobbling around. He he would, in a sense, not be able to do things like he did before. And that may have been what Saul was planning to do to Agag. And Saul had a big ego and was filled with pride like a hot air balloon. Deviation from God's instructions was Saul's idea. Let's look at verse 10. No, go to verse seven. No, I did that all right. Let's go to verse verse 10, sorry. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. It says that God regretted making Saul king because Saul had turned back from following him and had not fulfilled his words. Saul chose not to listen to the Lord. And it's not just God who's deeply grieved. It's Samuel's grieved. But Samuel is so angry. Why? Why? because Samuel had remembered what the Lord said, that as Israel's king did not follow the commands of the Lord, then the people would suffer. Verse 12, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel gets up next morning to go to search for Paul. Here we find an interesting piece of information. On the way, Samuel found him, and he had made his own Mount Rushmore. He made a monument to himself. So everybody would see, oh, look at the great accomplishment of Saul and his army. Does anyone think Saul has an ego problem? When you're building monuments to yourself, you think far too much of yourself. Now that sounds silly to us, doesn't it? But don't we do the same thing on social media? Don't we create accounts for ourselves and we look for how many likes we get? How many people start following us? Aren't those monuments to ourselves? I oh, see, now you got Quiet. Samuel, in his great leadership and character was now forced to defy the king and point out Saul's sin. While Samuel's angry, Saul tried to weasel out of his sin. And we're gonna look at the six responses on how Saul tried to weasel out. Verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. The very thing God told Samuel the night before that Saul had not done was the very thing Saul immediately claimed he had done. And Saul tries to escape these consequences of sin. First thing Saul did is he tried to lie about his sin. Verse 14, and Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? So imagine how that lie sounded to Samuel's ears when he knew that Saul was telling him a bold-faced lie. Parents, we've all seen our kids lie right to our face before. How does that make us feel? Before we wag our heads in disbelieving at the lying Saul, isn't it true that ultimately we aren't much better? When somebody calls out our sin, don't we have the tendency to lie about it? It's so easy to cover the truth about our sin with deception. It comes so naturally when put under pressure. This pastor one Sunday morning got up from his congregation and he said, next week I'm going to be preaching on the sin of lying. I'd like all of you to read Mark chapter 17 for next week. Next week came and he got up to preach He says, how many of you read Mark 17 like I asked last week? Almost every hand went up. The pastor then said, Mark only has 16 chapters. I will now be starting my sin preaching on the sin of lying. Saul was supposed to listen to God's voice. If Saul was going to listen to God's voice, then why didn't Samuel, or why was Samuel hearing the sheep and the oxen? Number two, Saul tried to blame shift his sin on his shoulders. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. So now that Saul's caught, he tried to shift the blame to his soldiers. It was the people's idea to keep this stuff, not my idea. And again, isn't that how we do? We blame our bad choices on other people instead of taking responsibility for them ourselves. I mean, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and God came to Adam and said, why'd you do that? Adam said, it was her. He blamed her. It's a shame, sometimes we can even blame God for our own sin. There was in a small town, this man, who was driving on Sunday morning, he's swerving all over the road and a police officer pulls him over to the side of the road and gets out Goes to the window and he knows the guy. He says, Frank, why are you swerving all over the world? He says, I'm going to church. He says, um, What's that on the seat next to you? He says, It's a bottle of water. He says, Well, let me see the water. He handed him the water and he says, No, this is wine. He says, God done did it again. Number three, Saul tried to rationalize his sin. Saul said the reason they did not obey God's word and destroy everything was because they wanted to bring the animals to God and to offer them as sacrifices. Saul claimed he had a good motive for not obeying God. He claimed he had a better idea than obeying God's word. And again, we do this all the time. Don't we try to rationalize our disobedience to God's word because we think we have a better idea? Rationalizing our disobedience to justify our disobedience is just another sinful response. I cheated on my taxes so I could give more to the church. I copied my friend's homework so I could go to youth group. I know the Bible says not to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but somebody need to put them in their place. Number four, Saul tried to minimize his sin. Saul tries to minimize his sin on focusing on what he did right and not telling Samuel to focus on what he did wrong. He said, the rest I did destroy. I destroyed all the people and all the bad stuff. Samuel Look at the stuff I did right, not the stuff I did wrong. There's a story about a small middle school in a little small town where the girls there, especially when they were younger, would leave home with no lipstick, but when they got to school, they'd get out the reddest lipstick they could and they'd put on a great big swath of it and then they would kiss the mirror in the bathroom. Well janitor complained to the principal and said it's it take me forever to get all this lipstick off of the mirror principal said well let's call all the girls in here so he called all the young girls into the bathroom together and he said showed them one of the lipstick things he says let me show you how the janitor has to clean this janitor went and got a toilet boy brush punched it in the toilet went over there and cleaned the mirror with it he didn't have any more trouble with the girls kissing the mirror. <laughs> That's disgusting. And yet, it takes something disgusting sometimes for us to recognize the seriousness of a thing. We fail to be adequately disgusted by the sin around us, especially when it's committed by other Christians. The prevailing attitude in our culture today is that sin isn't bad anymore. We minimize it by calling it inoffensive names. Sex outside of marriage is just called an affair now. Lying has been putting on the best possible face of the situation, or as the media would call it, spin. Abortion has become a woman's right to choose. And I could go on and on. As long as sin is considered to be not so bad, we will be lulled into accepting it in the lives of others and in our own lives. We need to view sin through the eyes of God, like the young ladies in our story, then and only then will we stop kissing the mirror. The problem with all of Saul's fast-talking excuses was Samuel was wise to them. He saw right through Saul's line of excuses, so he stopped them in mid-sentence. Verse 16. Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul says to him, speak. I think Saul's about to regret Samuel speaking the truth. It was going to hurt verse 17 and samuel said though you are little in your own eyes you are not the head of the tribes of israel the lord anointed you king over israel this is referring back to again that god took saul out of the farm out of the field He was saying, you're not a country farmer anymore. You're the head of the nation. You are in charge. Stop blaming your sin on other people. You are the king. Verse 18. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are conquered. God gave you a job to do. You were to completely annihilate the Amalekites and all their stuff. That was his job. So Samuel reminded Saul of his position and his mission. And this gave Samuel the background he needed to make his point. Verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul had a clear and unambiguous word from the God. He directly disobeyed God. And why did Saul not complete his task? What led him to this partial disobedience? The answer is found in this verse. Saul rationalized disobedience to God by loving all the Alekite stuff more than he loved God. Saul was a materialist. He loved stuff more than he loved God. If he could get more nice shiny stuff, that was reason enough to disobey God. And here is a great reminder for us. When we love the things of this world more than the God who died to save our sins, we too will continue to pounce on stuff and rationalize our ways to disobedient God. Number five, Saul tried to argue his way out of sin. At this point, Saul realizes he couldn't wiggle his way out of his sin. He knew he couldn't successfully justify his sin with Samuel. So he just changed tactics. He decided to argue with Samuel to justify his sin. Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel... I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag of the Amalekite and I had devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of things to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But can you hear Saul raising his voice trying to get Samuel to back off? He obviously was not the first nor would be the last person to try and argue their way out of sin and we do the same thing the problem with trying to argue with way out of sin is that in the heat of the argument you often say things that you regret don't you you say things you wish you could take back and Saul didn't realize it but he had just said something he wished he could take back Prior to this, Samuel was just upset that he had kept all the sheep and the oxen. Now he's discovered that Saul's also kept the king. Oops, probably shouldn't have told Samuel that. Go to verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption as is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king." God is now rejecting Saul from being king because he did not obey the voice of the Lord. More pleasing to God than burnt offerings, than sacrifices, is God's people obeying him. Listening is better, it says, than the fat of the rams. And that was the best part of the sacrifice. Listening and obeying God brings more pleasure to him than any of the worship we will ever do in here. More than reading your Bible, more than listening to sermons, more than praying, you name it. Obedience to God is the most important thing for him. We cannot have... A vibrant, living, close relationship to God if we are continually fallen into the same sins over and over and over again. The Bible tells us to save sex for the wedding night. Hebrews 13 says, let marriage be held in honor above all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and that's difficult in our sex-saturated culture more pleasing to God than going to church than giving in the offering plate than singing songs of worship is obeying God's word in the area of sexual purity no amount of religious activity can be used to justify sexual sin Or Ephesians 4, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is for good for building up. As it fits the occasion, it may give grace to those who hear. There were two two cars sitting in the line, a turning lane, kind of up here like at 60. We had to sit there and wait for the green light to come down. In front was an elderly man who really wasn't paying much attention. And behind him was a young woman. Well, the light turned green and the older gentleman wasn't paying attention, so he didn't go. The woman behind him lost her ever living mind. She starts screaming, she rolls down her window, she's honking, she's yelling, she's cussing at him, she's telling him all this stuff, and finally the light turns yellow, the man takes off and turns red, she's stuck there again. She's banging on the dashboard, she is cussing, she flips him off as he drives off, and all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock on her window, there's a police officer there. She rolls down her window and she says, yes officer, he says, ma'am, I'd like you to turn off the car and put your hands on the steering wheel, please. She does so. He says, now I'd like you to step out of the car. She steps out of the car. He says, put your hands on the vehicle, please. She does. He frisks her, puts her hands behind her back, puts the cuffs on her, sticks her into the back of the car. She's flabbergasted. She has no reason why this is going on. He takes her down to the police station where she's booked, she's fingerprinted. her pictures are taken, she's cavity searched, and she's put into a cell where she sits for hours. Finally, she's brought out to the police officer before, and he says, man, I'm really sorry this has happened. He says, I drove up to the back of your car. I saw the Jesus saves license plate the WWJD sticker and the follow me to church bumper sticker and I imagine assumed you had stolen the car. (laughs) More pleasing to God than going to church, helping on the worship team. Reading your Bible, obeying God's word about his words. Our social media world cuts everything, other everyone down. Christians, we're supposed to be different. We should be building people up, not tearing them down. Ephesians four says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Samuel said that rebellion is like the sin of divination. To know God's word and to intentionally disobey is an offense to God as witchcraft. Number six, Saul had only worldly sorrow for his sin. Verse 24, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. At first, it almost appears that Saul got it, that he was ready to really repent to the Lord for what he had done. But all he was really worried about was Samuel not joining him in worship and how it was, that was gonna affect his troops? Verse 26. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Yikes, that's gotta hurt. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skin of her skirt of his robe and tore it and Samuel said, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. The skirt of the robe is the very bottom. That meant that Saul had to be down on his knees begging, begging Samuel to return. Verse 29 And also the glory of the Lord of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. He's telling Saul there's no second chances it was done. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Do you see his worldly concern, not necessarily his true repentance? Verse 31. So Samuel turned back after Saul. Saul bowed down before the Lord. I guess apparently Samuel changed his mind. Samuel went back with Saul, but wasn't going to join him in worship. It was to finish the job that Saul had not done. We go on in verse 32. And Samuel said, bring to me here to Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as the sword has made your women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gilba. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So what's the bottom line this morning? One, obedience to God's word is important to God. Saul didn't take God seriously. He took it casually. He only obeyed God's words partially. He tried to reinterpret God's words and God was extremely offended by that because of the obedience to God's words extremely important to God. That is a matter we all need to hear in a time when it's so easy to rationalize partial obedience to God in our culture. Number two, obedience to God is more important than than worship of God. That doesn't mean that worship's not important. Worship is important. It's just that obedience to God's word is far more important to God than any type of worship. Number three, there are wrong ways to respond to sin. In this chapter, Saul gave us many examples, lying about it, claiming it never happened, blaming others for our sin, rationalizing our sin, minimizing our sin, arguing defending ourselves, and having only worldly sense. There was a young two, two kids, Sally and Johnny, who were visiting their grandparents for a while, and they tried to keep them occupied and so on. They had given Johnny a slingshot. Well, Johnny was trying to practice in that slingshot. He just couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with it. And so he was called in for dinner and on his way in, he saw his grandmother's favorite duck. He got his slingshot and he put it the duck. He hit the duck right in the head and killed it. He looked around, took the duck, hid it in the wood pile and went in the house like there was nothing wrong. Well, after dinner, grandma said, now Sally, you gonna come help me clean up after dinner? Sally said, no, Johnny wants to do that. And she whispered in his ear, remember the duck. <laughs> the next day, grandpa said, you grandkids want to go fishing with me? Grandma says, I need Sally to help me with dinner. Sally says, oh, Johnny once told me he wanted to help with dinner tonight. He leans, she leans over and whispers in his ear, remember the duck. This goes on for days. Sally continues to take advantage of Johnny over and over again. And finally, Johnny gets fed up. He goes to his grandmother and he goes to apologize to her. She knelt down and gave him a hug and said, Sweetheart, I know you see I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. It does my heart good to see you admit you're wrong because I love you and I forgive you. But I was wondering how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Some of us here today are total slaves to our sin. addictions of all kinds, lying to the point to where we don't even know we're lying anymore. Our lifestyles are so full of sin. And God is saying to you this morning, first of all, he offers forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ. And I know there are some here this morning that need to put Jesus Christ first in their lives, accept them into his heart And to ask for that forgiveness and be baptized. But I know there's so many of us this morning that call ourselves Christians that are caught up in sin, in lifestyles of sin. Things that we know are wrong and yet we continue to do them over and over again. As Paul says, I know what I ought not to do and I know what I shouldn't do, but it's the very thing I do. This morning, Let's all turn a new chapter in our lives and turn away from the sins that engulf us, that enslave us. Make this a turning point in your life this morning. I'm going to pray here in a minute. and If you want to come down here, I would love to pray for you. I would love to help you take that next step towards Jesus. Follow what it is that God wants you to do in your heart this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, I realize that in our lives that all of us sin. Your word says if we save without sin, we're lying some of us are caught up in the addictions in this life of all kinds. We we tell lies sometimes and because we told them so many times we we, we don't know how to get out of them. We, We love to gossip. We love to tell people other things. And honestly, for many of us, we love our sin and we don't want to give it up your word tells us that obeying you is better than sacrifice. It is better than any offering we can give, any worship that we can do. That it is your obedience, Father, that we should all be striving for. So Father, I pray over every person here. I pray Lord God that you spirit would just move among them this morning especially father there's someone here who doesn't know your forgiveness father today will be the day of their deliverance their day of moving away from sin and moving to you and lord i know too that in this room there are so many here that sin every day that are caught up in that sin Father, I pray that you will help them to turn a new leaf, to be able to move away from that. Father, we love you. And we know that you love us because it said, while we are yet still sinners, your son died for us. I thank you, Lord God, for your son and all that he did. And ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. I'll be down here up front if you'd like to come talk. I'd love to do that with you this morning. I hope you thought it was good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Go love God, love people, and let God change the world.